We're good. As long as long as you can hear me, doesn't matter how doesn't matter how it looks. All right. I invite you to open your your copies of the Word of God to Daniel chapter three. And the the the, the title on the uh, of the uh, of the series matches well with 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 this chapter. Um, to be honest with you, I was debating uh, from last week. If you remember, you guys remember, uh, we we started. Uh, we were looking at the, the 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 theology of hope and the sovereignty of God, and that uh, we didn't finish. So I was debating whether we, we finish it. There's, there's only two points to it, and I would thought I would. Uh, I thought I would give them quick, and I'm thinking maybe not, maybe yes. And we're gonna do it. All right. There's coffee hour, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, just let me tell you something about the Word of God. Um, there, is, there is a famine in the church. My brother's showing me love. My brother's showing me love. No, that's okay. They didn't see that, and they know I need water. So, thank you. Yes, uh, um, the the church today um, gets bored of the Word of God. There needs to be an emotional type of thing, and they don't want to read anymore. There's many churches that they don't read the scriptures anymore. They don't. You know what I mean? So it's just about this emotional thing, and and the Word of God is important. This is the way uh, God shows us how to, li- how to live. This is where sometimes we ask for wisdom. And, and the question is, how does wisdom come? Does it come in osmosis? We put the Bible and it just comes to us. It does not happen that way. It does not come through osmosis. We have to hear the word of God. It has to penetrate in our hearts. And then we have to live the word of God. But we have to hear it. The word of God is what changes us. Right? So it is important. This is very important to, uh, to, hear, to, 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 to hear the word of God and to preach the word of God. So I'm not trying to tell you that I'm going to go two hours. No. I'm, 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 I'm just letting you know the importance, the importance of the of the teaching of, of the Word of God. So I'm going to give you a quick, I'm going to give you a quick rundown, and then we're going to jump into chapter, third, uh, chapter 3 of, uh, of Daniel. But first, let me read the first three verses of, of, uh, of, uh, of the chapter, of chapter 3, and then uh, we'll, we'll go over some, some, the, the four points that I gave you last week, and then we'll move on into, the, into this chapter. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. Uh, and the reality of this, if we would go through the book of Daniel, we probably would be here a few years because there's so much, there's so much in this, in this book. All right. Do you have it? The, the word of God says like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together satraps and prefects 
and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence to come to the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the providence gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we need you so much. There's nothing we could say on our own. We want it to be all you and none of us. We have nothing. I have nothing to say, Lord. But your word has much to say. Help us to speak with wisdom and help us to listen with wisdom. Like I always say, Lord, help us not to be uh, uh, forgetful hearers. But that we treasure your word in our hearts and in our minds and live it. Live it, which is the, the, the importance, so that we may practice it. That, me, that it may be edifying to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, <clears throat> last week I gave you the theology of hope and the sovereignty of God. And that was in chapter 2, right? So much. Uh, chapter 2 is the, uh, the, the uh, theological underpinning for the whole book, if you will. Right? And out of that, out of that chapter... I gave you four reasons for the hope that we, that, 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 that we have, that the book gives us. Uh, it didn't give just the hope to Daniel, but it gives us that, hope, that same hope too, right? And the first one, we took, we, we took this out of uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. We're not going to go over it. We're going to go quick just so we could move forward. And the first, the first reason for our hope I gave you, that I gave you, was all wisdom belongs to God. Remember that? All wisdom belongs to God. Uh, and we said that the wisdom of God, <clears throat> the wisdom of God outshines the wisdom of man anytime, any place, anyhow, anywhere, outshines it all the time. But I also, get, I also told you that this is, this is one big story. Whatever stories that we have in the Old Testament, they're, point, they're pointing constantly to one person, and that's Jesus Christ, right? All of them. There's a centerpiece. Christ is the centerpiece of history. And everything that the Word of God talks about points to Christ. Points to Christ. So with that said, Colossians 2.3 says, Christ and Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see that? In Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He is the source of wisdom. Amen. And glory to God because we know him. Remember what we said last week? We have a privilege that we know him because we have, we have the wisdom of God. Then we saw God is sovereign. Secondly, God is sovereign in the affairs of man. And remember, we said that God was in control, not just that. He was in control of, a, of a King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? But not only of King Nebuchadnezzar, but he was in control of Daniel too. Both different paths, both different paths, but he was the authority. He was in control of everything. In everything. <clears throat> and what we said is that he decrees what's going to happen in our lives because he is God and he is the ultimate authority. Right? And no matter, no matter what's happening, no matter what it is, Right? 
It's for whatever is happening in our lives. He decrees it, and it's for our own good, whether we see it or not. It's for our own good. Amen? And that's where we left off, right? And then let me give you the third. Thirdly, man cannot know the mind of God apart from special revelation. And that's verse 22. This is what he says. I'm going to give it to you quick. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and in the light. And the light dwells with him. That's a wonderful, beautiful statement, right? He knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's in the light. And the light dwells with him, rather, right? You see that? The dark, the dreadful, the ugly, the sinful, the awful. God knows, and he's there. And he's there. And he is the remedy for all that all that dwells with him. The remedy dwells with him. Amen? And note, if you look at verse 27, it says, No wise man, we're, we're going from the, from the praise, we're going from the praise to the testimony. And this is what the testimony says on verse 27. No wise man, in, in, enchanters, am I saying it right? Enchanters, magicians, or, or astrologers, can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Now, do you, you remember the Chaldeans? The, 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 the king asked them to come and reveal the dream. They couldn't re, the re, reveal the dream. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They knew that they couldn't do it. King Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the dream. He couldn't do it either. Let, he, he just couldn't do it. So God has to show him that he needs special revelation. <clears throat> and if you remember, he was going crazy. He was going off the deep end, absolutely helpless and out of control. He says, no one can show me the dream. Everybody's going to be torn limb by limb. Remember that, right? And he sends to get his guys and all of that. Now, remember, they were highly trained. If, I read a little bit of the story about this, and they, were, they had this sophisticated way to interpret the dreams. That's all they did. They were... They were, they were going to school for that. But they could not, they could not interpret it themselves. Verse 10 and 11 says this, that they, they, they know that they couldn't do it, right? They couldn't do it. Even though they had, they've been trained, they've been, they're going to school, they couldn't do it. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the, that time, could not do it. So no one can do it. No one. And watch this. Not even Daniel. And you remember what, happened, what, what, what chapter 1 says? He had the gift, right? He had the ability to interpret dreams. But he couldn't do it himself. But he did, right? He did. But what did he do first? Well, verse 17 tells us he prayed. He told, his, he, told his, uh, he told his friends, seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. Now notice, Daniel doesn't say, pray for me so that I may exercise my gift. He didn't say that, right? He could have said that, but he didn't say that. He didn't say, I could do it. <clears throat> he can't do it. He can't do it because it is impossible apart from God to have that special revelation, it only comes from God, right? You, can, you cannot know the mind of God apart from special revelation. You cannot know the mind of God <clears throat> apart from special revelation. And yes, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? They do. They do. 
And also, Romans 1 tells us that we have, a, uh, we, we have no excuse, right? We, have no, we are without excuse because nature, we see nature, and it reveals us. It reveals God, right? But that is natural revelation. That is natural revelation. That cannot save, cannot save absolutely no one. Absolutely no one. It is completely, completely and utterly insufficient to save us. You cannot get saved from there. We need God's word. You understand that? We need God's word. We need God's special revelation. And that's his word. And there's something so beautiful in Hebrews 1, well, uh, 1 chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It, it, it makes it so clear. It says, long, <clears throat> long at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us, and that is a complete act. What I just told you is just a complete act. He has spoken to us through his son. Amen. That is the final, ultimate revelation of God. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate revelation, right? We need nothing else. We need nothing else. We don't need dreams. We don't need visions anymore. That is the sufficiency of the word of God. That's all we need. That's all we need to be saved, right? And that's a wonderful thing because we have the word of God. Fourthly, the revelation of God is a merciful act. The revelation of God is a merciful act. And it is. God did not have to. God did not have to reveal anything to us. God could have done what he did with, with, um, with Daniel. God could, God could have done what he did with Israel, and God could have done all what he did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too. He just could have done it without being rec- have, having been recorded, and it would have been okay. But you know what? He didn't do that, right? You know why? Because mercifully, mercifully, he speaks to his people. He communicates with his people. He speaks to his people through the word, and he continues to do that. And that is a blessed thing. That's what I was telling you in, in the beginning. And in this situation, in this circumstance with Daniel, he was merciful to Daniel, right? He was merciful to Daniel. He was merciful to Hananiah, Mishael, and Asadrak, right? He was. They didn't get to die, remember? They didn't get to die. And amen for that. He was, that was a merciful act. They prayed and they asked God and God showed them mercy and it was, it was a beautiful thing. But watch this, not just, not just for them. It wasn't just a great thing for them. It was not only for them, but for the Chaldeans too, Chaldeans too. right? And this is the point. This is the point. <clears throat> how many of us know, how many of you know that the people around you are blessed because you know God? Did you get that? How many of you know that the people around you are blessed because you know God? We live in this nation, right? That just because of the, of the residue of people who came and brought us the gospel and brought us the word of God, we have the freedoms, even though they're being taken away, but, you know, we still have those freedoms to worship. And that's because of the residue of those people that walked godly before us. Right? So the point being is that it is a beautiful thing, right? That is a beautiful thing. 
that the people around us, that the pe- it's a merciful act, right? And people around us get blessed because we know the Lord. And it happened the same thing with these Chaldeans. They, 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 um, they didn't get to die either. They didn't get to die. And they brought this, the, 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 the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, all these people, they brought these this Jews from, uh, from Judah, from the tribe of, uh, of Judah, from Jerusalem. They brought them, right? But they did not like them. They despised them. They didn't like the way they dressed. They didn't, they didn't like the way they looked. They didn't like anything about them. They despised them. They were the low lives. They were the low, but thank God for those low lives, right? Thank God for those low lives, because if, if it wasn't for those low lives, they would have been torn limb by limb. And they were blessed because of that, right? <clears throat> In fact, these people, uh, the, 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 the actual training, uh, uh, Daniel and his friends, they were the juniors, because remember, they were just finishing their training. And, 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 and the king, King Nebi, calls first his people, the ones, the, 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 the bigger ones. They were juniors. They didn't get to call. They, they didn't get called. They didn't, they didn't get called, right? <clears throat> and in actuality, they thought they were superior to them, so they just didn't like him at all. But again, thank God for those low lives. Thank God for those low lives. So God... <clears throat> God reveals himself to, this, to, to his people, and that is a merciful act. That is the point, right? And it is the act of mercy, not just to them, but for those around them. See? And, and, and it's an interesting thing here, too, because it's, uh, we have kids, and we don't have that many kids here. They all, they all go. But uh, any young, young person, right, any young person uh, that, that, that hears this, they should thank the Lord that their parents... That their parents, uh, and maybe, maybe they still don't know the Lord, but they're here. And their parents are immersing them in the Word of God. Right? They're immersing them in the Word of God, and it's something beautiful. That is a blessed thing. That is a blessed thing. I often talk to my sister, and I tell her, you know, my parents are, my parents are gone. But I said, the, the best gift that they gave us. The best gift that they, you know, many times people always talking about their kids, the legacy they want to give and they want the inheritance they want to give. The best inheritance you could give is to lead, him, to lead them to Christ, that they may know Christ. And that is one of the things that I often tell my sister. We are so thankful. We are so thankful that our parents led us to Christ. Led us to Christ so we could know him as our Savior. And that is a blessed thing. And not just the parents, right? Because we're talking about, I don't know how all of you came to Christ, but some of you maybe through your neighbors, maybe somebody at your work spoke to you, right? And you were blessed because someone knew. Someone knew the Lord. And that is from God. That is a merciful act towards you and towards me. So all of our kids, and maybe as I, like I tell you myself, we should be thankful. We should be thankful that our parents, uh, that, that our parents know, know the Lord, right? And that is the reason for your hope. That is the reason for my hope. That was the reason for, for um, Daniel's hope. Not just, watch this, not just because uh, uh, what God has done, and that is great stuff. I'm not trying to say that, right? But I'm saying my reason for my hope is because... <clears throat> is because the, 
All the wisdom, and I'm, I'm going over my things here. All wisdom comes from God. That God is sovereign in the affairs of men. That we have absolutely no hope comprehending what is in the mind of God. Right? And praise the Lord that he has revealed himself and that it is an act of mercy towards us. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful thing. And that is our hope. And that is our hope. We jump right into chapter 3 because we've got a lot to talk about. We come into a different scene right here. We come into a different scene. <clears throat> and we read, we read the first uh, um, verses, right? Uh, but you, if you remember, I told you uh, King Nebuchadnezzar rebels. He, he sees in his dream this vision of a, of a statue. Now, the statue, the head, the head is of gold, and it's his head, right? It's his head. Uh, and here, come to chapter 3, he rebels. He, re, he, he, re, he rebels against uh, uh, what he has said, and we're going to get that in, in, in a minute, right? <clears throat> but in chapter 2, he dreams about that. Here he makes a statue, not just the head, but completely the statue of gold, whether it was, whether it was a, 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 a solid gold or a cover of gold, we don't know, but it was a valuable, it was a valuable uh, image, right? Uh, and so we, we read, I'm going to go through this quick. We don't want to take too long with this. Uh, it just tells us that it was a, a golden statue, of, a, a very valuable, right? And it tells us that the height was, uh, was 90 feet, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Pretty big thing. And it was set up in the plains of Dura. Now, the plains of Dura, it was a very flat thing. And it is believed, what I read, it was believed where the, where the Tower of Babel was erected there. And the people, if you remember, if you go back to, to, to read about the story, in the Tower of Babel, it said, let's, let's make a name for ourselves and build this, this tower. Well, same thing with King Nebi. He thought it was a good idea. That's not a bad idea, he said. Let me do this statue and make a name for myself. Now, it was a massive statue, right? But it was of himself. He was identifying himself as a god. He was identifying himself as a, as a god. And not only that, but then he demands all of the high-ranking. And that's what all the politicians, you know, he's making this uh, 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 for them to come, to gather together so they could come and he, them to look at them. He wanted everyone to worship, to bow down and worship. Now, if you remember, like I told you, the gold represented uh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? The vision that he saw. But it was for the statue was for his own glory. Now, in chapter 2, right? In chapter 2, he's going crazy about his dream. God reveals it to him through Daniel, and then he, he stays stunned. He stays stunned because no one could interpret the dream but Daniel. And he was amazed. Verse 46, it says, he fell on his face, pray, paying homage to, to, to Daniel. Verse 47, listen to what he said. <clears throat> Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. In other words, he knew that Daniel was in touch with the true God. He, know, he knew that Daniel was in touch with the true God, completely different than the Babylonian gods. They could not do anything. He was the living God. Now, his response to the truth was something interesting, right? It was good, right? 
If you read, if you read in, in, in verse 47, he falls on his face and he says, this is your God is the true God. It was good. He had a good experience. He had a religious experience, to say the least. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to completely change him. It wasn't enough to completely change him. And his behavior from chapter 2 to chapter 3 reminds us of something. Reminds us of something we see in many, many churches, like I was telling you in the beginning. And that is that many times, many times, there is an emotional, there is a, this cathartic uh, uh, experience, if you will, to the truth. And they hear the message, they hear the message, their experience, uh, they have an experience, an encounter with God, and it stirs something in them. And that's exactly what happened to, to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was stirred, and thus he had a religious experience. But with time, it proved, just as we see now, it proved to be not momentary, transient, because he never changed. And just as a lot of people, their, change, their, their lives never change. There is an emotional response to the gospel, but they never change. They never show any fruit of repentance, but just because they have this emotional experience and they believe that that, ex that experience, that steering of their heart, if you will, they believe that that's going to take them to, to heaven without giving evidence of change. And the Word of God, my brothers, doesn't tell us that. In John chapter 1, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and, and do not practice truth. Did you get that? That's exactly what was happening with him. The light wasn't in him. It was just an emotional response. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was moved, right? <clears throat> and he said that... Uh, uh, there was a true God, but comes chapter 3, and his actions were completely different. Completely different. Uh, <clears throat> and watch this. Instead of worshiping the true God, he started worshiping, worshiping himself. He makes this huge statue. He starts making, uh, worshiping himself. And that was not, a, not, that was not enough. He invited his whole... His whole group, his whole uh, people to come and, and bow down and worship the, 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 the statue of him. And he simply was doing what all men tend to do. The people who don't know God, they worship themselves. You know that? They worship themselves. They invent gods of their own thinking to fit their own mind and their own attitudes. That's what men tend to do. And so having established the idol and, and demanding that everybody will worship it, uh, he brings these three, uh, these three, the, the, the three Hebrew young men, uh, it brings them into a very tough situation, a very sticky situation for them, right? Because they had to make a decision. They had to make a decision. They knew the law of God. They were trained in their theology. They, they knew all of that. And they knew that idolatry, they knew that idolatry was a heinous, God-hated idolatry. They knew that. They knew that, right? So they had to come to make a, a, a decision. And so we need to talk about idolatry because that is one of the, that, that's what the chapter, that's what the chapter talks about. Uh, <clears throat> and we need to talk about it so we understand what Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, why they stood the way they stood. Amen? And the chapter, again, the chapter, is, it, it, it's about that. And I really wish we could go into in depth, in detail, 
about this, about the, the idolatry, because it's so interesting. It's so interesting. But I will start with this. That man is incurably religious. Did you get that? Man is incurably religious. There's many times that people see me, and, and, or they, they see the Bible, or they see something, and they, they ask something about the church, and they ask, do you go to church? Yeah, how many times do you go to church? We go you know, one, two, three times. Oh, and they say, oh, you're very religious. Sorry. They always tell me, you're very religious. And you know what I say? You're religious too. We all are religious. We all are religious. Every man is religious. Man event, inevitably will bow down to some shrine of something. Of something. And it's either that they worship the true God or they come to some false substitution of another, of another kind. But man is incurably religious. And in Romans 1... Chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, it clearly tells, we're not going to read it, but just to let you know, clearly tells us that if man turns away from the true God, it does, he does not go into a vacuum. He does not go into a vacuum. He will create other gods of creeping things, of birds, of beasts, of men. That's what he tends to do. And he will worship, he will worship, if he does not worship the creator, he will worship the creature. He will worship the creature. Now, if he does this, watch this, what, what he tends to do. He will define his own God. He will define his own God that he, made, that he makes. And he always wants to make a, a, a kind of God like him. Always it's like him. Right? And so he usually becomes a God that looks just the way he likes it to be, the way he likes it. The, uh, and it is just to accommodate the sinfulness of man. Just to accommodate his sinfulness. And the reason being is because this is the difficulty of this. The difficulty of worshiping the true God, the true and only God, is that you have to forward, you have to have face the reality of your sinfulness. And that's why men tend to want to go the other direction, because they love their sin. And if they reject the true God, they will invent another God who is like them. And it, that makes it a lot easier to live, doesn't it? Really does. Makes it easier to live with that kind with a kind of God like that. Look with me in Psalms with Psalm 115, and it, it just clearly tells us there. Now, verse 1 in this uh, Psalm 115, <clears throat> it starts with a statement that God is to be glorified, the true God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. And now watch this. Here, here comes the, the beauty of, of this. Why should the nation say, where is, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. That is the true God. And then here comes the other ones, the ones that men make. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but... Do not, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. <clears throat> Those who make them become like them, so do, so do all who trust in them. You see that? That's exactly what they do. That is exactly what they do. 
They make them, they're like them, and the Bible says that they created, God, the Bible tells us this, that God created man, uh, God created man in, in his image, right? But man creates his idols in his own image, in his own, just to accommodate him. <clears throat> and so, and so, as we could see in this book, in the book of Daniel, and we see it through the word of God throughout scripture, there is a com- constant conflict. Constantly, there's a conflict in the world. And that constant conflict is between the worship of the true God or the worship of a false God that man makes out of his own imagination. Now, idolatry then is the corruption of the true worship, right? Idolatry is the corruption of the true worship. And listen, and and I bring this because we have to bring it to ourselves. We have to bring it to ourselves. We must remember this. Idolatry is the most basic issue. Idolatry is the most basic issue about which God is concerned about. It is what he's concerned about. In terms of, 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 of the life of man, idolatry is the most basic issue which God is concerned. How do we know that? Exodus 20, what are the, what, what are the Ten Commandments? First five commandments, it's all about idolatry, Right? First five commandments is all about, about idolatry. So the Bible explicitly says that there should be no other gods but the true God. And with that statement, with that statement, it crushes literally all idols, all gods with small g. Whether they're idols of stone, they're idols of wood, idols of metal, idols of, um, idols of the mind, idols in, uh, of the heart, idols of emotion, whether they are tangible or intangible, whether they're, they're external or internal. They are external, then they're, they're internal too. All idols are crushing the statement, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image. And listen, even though this is the primary commandment, this is the primary commandment of Scripture, it is such a looming reality, right? It's a looming reality. It's a looming reality that is constantly, that is constantly uh, attacking us. Man inevitably continues to make uh, rush into continually rush, rushes into idolatry, and God has said so much about idolatry. I mean, I was reading about it, and, it, and it's amazing. There's so much that He has to say. The Word has to say about idolatry, and that's what I say. Which we could make a study of this because it concerns us. It concerns us. It concerns us because we may say that we don't we don't bow we don't bow to any statues right we don't bow to any images we could say that that we have no images see and we, we could say we're pretty sophisticated i was hearing too i was hearing about in uh, um in some asian country how is just they 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 bring gods to one temple to visit and they make this huge uh uh, uh pr- pr- processions and they bring they bring one God to visit another God in another shrine. In between, they're doing all of that. They are having parties. They have all kinds of crazy stuff that they do. And that's why I tell you, we don't see that here, right? We don't see that here. And we probably could say that this is a sophisticated 21 century, and we don't, we don't, we don't do that. And we don't do that. But 
We are a society. Listen to me. We are a society. My apologies. This thing keeps pulling from on my back. I must have grabbed something. Our society is literally filled with idols. As I mentioned, there are internal idols and there are external. And in some societies, there are a lot of external. In other societies, they're internal. Internal, right? And there are millions, there are millions who would never think about bowing down to, to, to an image or, or, or to an idol, but they spend all of their lives bowing down to an empty, useless form of some kind of idol in their mind and in their hearts. And that's the society we live in. In, in reality, you know what an idol is? Anything we put before God. Anything we put, we, we put before God. It could be your car. Yes, it could be your car. It could be your car, it could be your hobby, it could be your house, it could be your wife, it could be your kids, or anybody, or anything. And anything we put before the Lord, it's idolatry. And we could get just a little bit more specific. We could get just a little bit more specific. And we could make a list that would look like this. We have the God of possessions. We have the God of possessions. The possessions steal, they usurp the place of God. Do we, spend, do we spend more time thinking about our possessions? Do we spend more time thinking about what we have, what we can acquire more than God? They take the place of God. They take the place of God. <clears throat> a, writer, a writer wrote this, and I, I, and I loved it. The principle of God of our times is our standard, is our standard of living. We are so concerned with the, with the material possessions that we have forgotten that they are a gift of God. That's beautiful, right? Possessions are a, they're a gift from God, but we make them a God. We make them a God ourselves. <clears throat> another, another, another one is pride. Uh, and I think that's the main God in our society. Self-love. Self-love. Everybody is talking about loving themselves and doing all kinds of crazy things. And you could say that, that people just... Uh, uh, People are the God of our society. People, right? Some people idolize their kids, right? It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. It's all about their, their activities, their entertainment, their sport. And, they, and sometimes they cannot get involved in anything, any church activity or any. They can't do anything and no ministry because the kids, the kids come first. The kids, the kids come before God. <clears throat> And as I was thinking this, because you see it all the time, you see that's our society, right? Again, we, we, we're, we're rushing all over the place. I, I hear mothers, they have no time for anything. And sometimes marriages go, go crazy because that's all about the kids. They're just grabbing the kids and going, pulling on all kinds of directions. We're having no right priorities. And you see that all the time. In contrast with what we see, I was thinking about that. In contrast with what we see with Hannah. You remember Hannah? Remember Hannah? Hannah was asking for, 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 for a son, Samuel's mother. She was asking for a son. She was begging God for a son. She prayed and God gave her a son, right? She gave her a son. And when God answered that prayer and gave her that son, gave it to him, and then she overprotected him, right? No. 
No, she did not. <laughs> God forbid, right? She, she overprotected. I'm joking. No, she did not. You know what Hannah did? Exactly. Exactly. She gave the child to the Lord. And you know what she did? She walked away. She walked away. And she said, that's the way you should be. Because that is the base, that's the best place for that child. Amen. Did not make, did not make that kid a god or idol for her. Do you remember Abraham? A hundred years old, and he's having, a, he's having a, his, 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 his kid, Isaac, right? And then God said, wait a minute, I, I, I want him. You got to sacrifice him. And what did Abraham do? You want him? I love him. I love him. He is the son of the promise, but I'm going to give it to you. And just as Abraham has the knife in the hand, God saw him and he said, stop. Right? He was willing. He was willing. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And our problem is that at times, that we make gods out of people, right? We make gods out of people. <clears throat> Some time ago, and this is subtle. This is subtle. Some time ago, somebody told me this. Uh, we were talking about uh, going to church, uh, um, our, our lives with Christ, how, how our lives with Christ were. And he says, he told me, oh, I got to get back. I got to get back to church. I got to get back to Christ because my kids, because my kids are going astray. My response, brother, that's idolatry. Because it sounds good, right? I'm going to seek the Lord and look for the Lord because my kids are going off the deep end. That is idolatry. That is idolatry. Because God is worthy of our lives regardless of what's going on and with our kids or with anything else. But when we say that, when we say, I got to get back to God so he could fix this, so he could do that, so he could fix my marriage, so he could bring her back, bring him, get. That is what is important. You're not going back to the Lord or you're not seeking him because he is worthy of your life. You're going because of that. And that is idolatry. That is idolatry. And so now, <clears throat> now I'm not saying we should not love our kids now. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not saying we should love our kids and we should not be co committed to our families. No, I'm not saying absolutely not, right? But they should never come before the Lord. They should never come before the Lord. And we could talk about other things, many other idols that, they, that we have. We have entertainment in, in our pleasure, hobbies, uh, projects, all of that stuff. We live in such a hedonistic society that is all about pleasure and it's all about entertainment. I was one time reading, I don't know how many um, um, amusement parks we have. And you know, you know what's that for, right? That's just to get your thrills. And people just, they, you know, and they love that. Down, up, and down. I almost died on that one. You could go there. But people live for those thrills. And whatever entertainment, whatever pleasure, it's a constant run towards that. All of that. 
And that's what I was saying. Unless you think we have no idols, we have many, many idols. And we could talk about so many more idols of the heart and idols of the mind. Many idols, right? And God takes that very seriously. God takes that very seriously. Right? You know why? He's a jealous God. He is a jealous God. And rightfully so. He is the one and true God. He will not compete for some. He will not compete with anybody or anything. He will not compete with anybody or anything. He is God. He is God. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go. Let's go back to our text. <clears throat> so Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they knew that idolatry was completely unacceptable to the Lord, to God. And bowing down to that, to an image, it would be just horrible for them because they knew God, they knew God hated idolatry. And again, they were educated, well-educated in the Hebrew uh, doctrine and theology and all of that. So they knew exactly how God, God felt about idols. And, and now remember, we, 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 talked about, we talked about Daniel a little bit last week. And we said what kind of man he was. He was such a, didn't compromise his faith for anything. Didn't, nothing, nothing, right? Uh, he didn't compromise his convictions uh, for anything. Or more specific, he didn't compromise the word of God for anything, to be more specific, right? And it's interesting to note that Daniel is not mentioned here. Where's Daniel? Where's Daniel? Daniel is nowhere to be found. And it is believed that he probably was like the prime minister of Babylon. And he probably was away in, uh, in some kind of a, a business trip or something. And we see this. We see these guys, uh, these three three guys. Sort of, we, we we look at them. We say we say that they were hanging on the coattails of uh, of uh, of Daniel, right? Because Daniel is the one that stands out all the time. But not so, not so. If you study a little bit of the history of what was going on in there, the, the context of this, they said there had to be around 75, 75, maybe less, maybe more that they had taken from the royal from the royal families of of uh, uh, Judah. So it wasn't just these four. There were more. But these are the only, Daniel and his three friends are the only ones that stick out. You know why? Because they didn't compromise for anything. Anything. It was what the word of God said. They were sticking to it even if their lives depended and their lives depended on it. And we see it here, right? So we see that. <clears throat> We see that, and that is, a, they were committed. They were committed to their faith, just as Daniel was. Uh, and they knew where to draw the line. They knew where, where to draw the line. And, and, and that line, we could call it their convictions, right? Uh, and, and they had determined in their minds, they had determined in their minds and in their hearts that they will never, they will never descend below that line. That's it. And they never did. And they never did. And, and that was not an easy thing to do. That was not an easy thing to do. But it's something we should learn to do, right? We should learn to do that. Hold the line. This is it. That we, cannot, we cannot go beyond that, right? Now, let me tell you about this. Listen. There are one or two things that determine our decisions, our attitudes, and our behavior. Two, two things. Our decisions, our, uh, our decisions, our attitudes, our behaviors are determined by one or two things. External pressure, external pressure, or internal principle. You get that? 
external pressure that comes from the outside or internal principle? Which one are we going to live by? And they're both, both of those things are constantly battling in us in how we live. Are we going to succumb to the external pressure or are we going to live by principle, by conviction? And these guys, they were living by internal principle, by conviction. By conviction, they would not succumb to, to the pressure. And the pressure was tough, as we're going to see later on. Uh, <clears throat> they have convictions, and, and that was their internal, uh, internal uh, principles. Uh, and we say that because we're going to see how this, uh, these young guys, they, they, function on, they function on all internal pr pressure. And they didn't really care. They didn't really care what the external pressure was. They didn't care. And, it was, and again, it was a lot of pressure. Verses 1 and 3 tells us about the image, right? We're going to go quick. <clears throat> then uh, King Nebi gets his people, right? His, all of them to come and uh, uh, um, bow down. In verse 13, they says that they stood before the image. Uh, now, it, now, this is interesting, and I'm going through it quick. It, it's interesting because King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he didn't say, you gotta, you got to give up your, your idols. you got to give up your other things. He didn't say that. He just told them, it's okay whatever you do. It's okay whatever other God you worship. It's okay. And you could, and you could worship your God, but you've you got you to bow down to this statue. You got to bow down to this statue. So those, all the, the, the satraps and all of those people in high, high ranking, the politicians, and, and they, were just, they were just fickle. They were just fickle. They stand there, they, they, they look at this thing, and <clears throat> they didn't care whatever they believe. All they wanted to do was save their skin and be okay with, it, with, with King, King Nebuchadnezzar. They just didn't care. They just didn't care. And they, wanted, they didn't want to, obviously, and you know what's behind this, they didn't want to get punished. What was the punishment? Get burnt in the, in the, uh, in the, in the furnace, right? And, but they would compromise anything. They had no convictions. They had no convictions. Uh, and, and like I said, it probably understood because their lives were on the line, but they had no convictions. Now, remember what we said about a conviction, what a conviction was last week, right? A conviction, and I'm going to give it to you again because I liked it. A conviction is nothing more than a belief with boots on, ready to march, ready to fight, ready to die. And that's exactly what they had, right? <clears throat> Verse 4, they tell us they proclaim out loud. They hear the sound of music, and this is another interesting thing because he comes out with a band, and that was that that. That's a great thing, right? Because if they tell us, you know, we're going to bow down to an image, but they're going to play some rock and roll. Whoa, that's, that sounds good. I'm, I'm not crazy about rock and roll. I like jazz myself, but it's just music, right? So he brings out this, 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 this band, this royal band, and at the cue uh, and the beat and, and everything, at the cue of the sound of, of that, they were, supposed to, they were supposed to bow down, right? <clears throat> And if they didn't, what would happen? Immediately, they would be cast out into the, fear, into the uh, fiery furnace, the burning fiery furnace. And you could imagine, right? Uh, everybody was bowing down. Everyone was bowing down. Everybody was bowing down, bowing down to, the, to, the, to, the, to the system. Uh, everybody except these three guys. 
They, they were sticking out. Can you imagine that? Now, when they said everybody was doing it, everybody was doing it. And again, like I tell you, it was a, a, a flat, flat place all, all up. I mean, they, they could see it from far away, this statue. So when people, when the, when the music started playing, everybody down. Now, you can't imagine everybody down, but these three guys sticking up like sore thumbs, right? Incredible. So the Chaldeans, right? You remember what happened in chapter 2. Uh, the, 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 the King Nebuchadnezzar raises, raises uh, Daniel, and Daniel, Daniel says, give me these three guys, and, and, you know, so we could, and he brings him uh, to a higher position, if you will. Now many years have passed for this, so they already, they were elevated to a high position. Now the Chaldeans, they were jealous. You know that. They, they had to be. They had to be, right? So... <clears throat> it was uh, amazing. It was amazing because they were, they, were, they were nothing but 20 years old. Like I told you, Daniel, when he's taken out with them, there was, when he's taken out, he's, they were about 15, 15, 16 years old. So about this time, they're about 20 years old. Can you imagine the, the courage on this young man, right? What a conviction and courage they had. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and right away they went to, to the Chaldeans go and accuse the, uh, uh, these three guys. And verse 9 tells us that. Verse 12 tells us the, the real issue that they had. They were jealous. See? Now the amazing thing here is this. <clears throat> these three young men knew the price of obedience. They knew the price of obedience. They thought about it. Right? They thought about it. Uh, and, and they could have said many things. They could have said many things. They, they could have put, they could have put that, that, that principle, that, that their, their conviction, a little bit on the side, right? They could have. And they could have said, and they could have said, well, it's just an idol, and an idol is nothing. So if we bow down, maybe we bow down and we pray to the true God, Right? God, or they could have said, God brought us here. God brought us here, and dead, we are going to be good for nothing. So let's just do it. They could have said that, right? But they did not. They did not. They did not succumb to the external pressure. <clears throat> they could have said many things, but they didn't. They didn't. So verse 13, uh, 13 through 15 say, let me read it to you so we can move fast here. <clears throat> Where am I? Then, then Nebuchadnezzar, is, uh, in furious rage, he, he's losing it again, commanded uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you don't, do, do not serve my God or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the, the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, tri, trigon, I don't know if that's the right, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship to the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fire furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What a short memory this man had. What a short memory he had. 
right? What did they say? Well, they didn't say much because they were resolute and absolutely uncompromising. Absolutely, right? And then here comes what they said, and it's just an amazing statement. And watch this. This is the greatest affirmation of true faith, I believe, in the whole Bible. Right? Because think about it. We may not see it because we're nice and comfortable. And it's, it's a little bit hot. I know. It's a little bit hot. I could feel it. But not like that fiery furnace. <laughs> they would not like that fiery furnace. Right? Not like that. But this is the greatest affirmation of true faith. See? And verse 17 through 18 says, If it be so, we were not going to answer to you, but if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. One way or another. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Amen. Period. Period. There was no, there was no rationalization. There was no dialogue. There was no, let's talk about this. You know, we've been good to you. None of that. We will not bow down. Period. In other words... We have nothing to say except that our God whom we serve is greater than your God. And he'll deliver us out of your fire furnace even. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Point blank. And that is, that is faith and courage. Unbelievable. They were standing again on the, on the edge of the furnace. And their testimony, unshakable, unshakable, right? Unflinching. In the worst moment. And I, I, like, like I tell you, I always put myself in the sermon as I'm reading. And, and I ask myself, what would you do? What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? Right? Well, we know what they did. You know, you know what they did, right? They were committed to internal principle. They were committed to internal principle. And again, they had been taught in the, in, in, in the Word of God, and they, they knew what they had to respond. What they had to respond was based on the, on the truth of God. And they would not compromise no matter what the external pressure was, even that, that furnace, right? Uh, <clears throat> listen, listen. They were not dependent on their miracle. They were not dependent on their, uh, whether, whether there was going to be a miracle or not. They just accepted God's will. And even if it meant death to them, they accepted God's will rather than to be idolatrous. And that is a beautiful thing because they live by, by, by internal principle. And they said what Job said. Job, Job 3.15 says, though he slays me, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Beautiful. Now listen, this is for us. <clears throat> An uncompromising faith will, no bow, will, will bow to no idol, right? No matter what the, the, the idol is. Whether it's popularity, whether it's the idol of comfort, whether the idol of entertainment, fame, whatever, respectability, whatever it is. <clears throat> and those are the idols we could bow down to. But a compromising faith will not bow to that, will not bow to that. 
There is no compromise. There's no compromise with one who stands with that kind of courage and faith, right? <clears throat> so watch this. Because this is where their faith was. God is just. God is just as good. Just as good when he doesn't heal. Just as good when he doesn't heal as when he does. Did you get that? God is just as good when he heals and when he doesn't heal. God is just as loving when he doesn't provide what we think we need as when he does. God is just and gracious when he says no as when he says yes. God is God, is God and he's to be worshipped uncompromisingly with whatever he does. And whatever he does, as we said it last week, is right and perfect and just, whether we see it or not. And that's why Paul said, and he's, he, we have a perfect example in Paul, for me to live for me to live is Christ and to die, it's gain. Amen. And you know that the, the Apostle Paul never flinched. Never flinched. Never was shaken. Even as they were bringing him to sever his, his, his head. Didn't flinch at all. He remained steadfast. He remained steadfast. Uncompromising commitment to the truth and to the word of God. Truth of the word of God. And he stood there. Right? <clears throat> Now let me read the rest of let me read the rest of the uh, from chapter from chapter 29 26 on so we could get through. Then 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 Nebuchadnezzar came near to the to the door of the burning wall. They threw him right now. This is what I have to go back a little bit. I'm trying to I'm trying to move fast. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar was angry, furious. He lost his head again, and he says, well, we're going to throw him in there. But he says, let's bring these big guys, his big soldiers, tie him up and throw him in. And not only that, but th let's raise the heat up seven times. Now he's thinking stupid. Because if he wanted to torture them, he would have just said, bring, it, bring the flames low so they could do a, a slow torture. But he says, bring seven times. So hot that when he, they threw him in, what happened? The soldiers got burnt. The soldiers got burnt, right? And the, the, but that was his, his, uh, this maniac. Uh, he was an egomaniac, I, I, I would say. <clears throat> and let me read from, the, from, from verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as, and rose up in, in, in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into, into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And, their appearance of, of the, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God's. Then, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach. Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the, pre and the prefects, the governors, and the, king, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power of their, uh, over their body, the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not, was not singed. Their, their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed, here, go, here he goes again. 
Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel, had sent his angel and delivered his servants who trust in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve it and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For, this is no, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province of Babylon. Amazing, right? Amazing. Now next week we're going to see what happens to this guy because it's just crazy. But just let me uh, let me close with this. We're probably ever we're probably will ever experience anything like this. We will probably never be in the fire furnace in front of a fire furnace, right? Never. We probably never will. But we'll definitely face trials, right? And yes, we do. We're going to face trials, and they come from different ways. We come from, they come from different, different sources, different directions. Satan afflicts us. Yes, he does. Satan afflicts us. Uh, Peter tells us that he's like a, like a roaring lion, searching, looking, who he could devour, right? They come from different avenues. Satan, uh, Satan uh, afflicts us. Uh, and he, afflict, he afflicted Christ, right? He tempted God. He, he, he tempted Christ, right? Secondly, the world. The world is going to torment us. Constantly, the tentacles of the world is constantly trying to grab us. You notice that? I notice that all the time. And whatever we see and whatever we read and whatever we hear, there's always temptation at the corner. So the world is constantly trying to, to get us. And if they can't get us like that, you know what they do? They persecute us. Anything and everything is against Christianity. Everything. Christianity and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Constantly attacking the Word of God. So the world either they're trying to bring us towards them, they're trying to bring us towards them, or, or they're just persecuting us, right? To try to compromise our faith. Or thirdly, sometimes they come from Christ himself, from God himself. Right? He tests us. Right? And he does it for our own good. Right? The word of God tells us that. He will bring trials into our lives. Right? And it happens to, and he does it just to, 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 to mature us. So they could come from different directions, and we will face some kind of trial. Some kind of, and Peter calls it that issue brings us into the fiery furnace, he tells us, right? But we're going to come out pure as gold because he's with us. So we should not compromise our faith. Never compromise our faith. There's many things that are happening out there. There's many idols, but other things and attacks that come to, to our, our lives from society, from the culture, from government, from everywhere. They come. But we should always take a stand like these three, like three guys did. We will not bow down to anything. And we'll stand firm to what the word of God says. And we'll hold the line there. We hold the line there. Right? I was a, I was a Marine. And they used to tell us all the time, you know, I've never been in war. 
at war, but they used to tell us all the time, we, when you grab a hill, we surround the hill, and, and we take that hill, right? And they would tell us, whatever enemy comes, we will die in this hill. We will not let it go. And that's why I say, we die on this hill. And we don't bow to anything. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your word. Help us to live by internal principle, by convictions. And help us not to be just emotional, Lord, in our walks. Help us to not be compromising our faith for anything. And those idols that we have, we ask you, Lord, to, to help us to see, to search, and to be faithful to you. Help us. We need you. In every sense of the word, we need you, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. May we be what you want us to be for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your...